Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. America's Heroes Group, this time with our roundtable, Mental Health Matters with partner Nami Contranostra. It's Saturday, June 4, 2022. June is LGBTQ Pride Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co-host. Our producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our partner on the line with us, Ms. Gigi Crowder. She's the executive director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. NAMI is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, an advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. And we're going to talk about something that's a very, very sensitive topic to a lot of people. Our hearts go out to people that have suffered through this. But we're going to talk about resources for children and adults after mass shootings. So, Gigi, can you hear me? Yes. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Uh, it's been a couple of rough weeks here, but hanging in there. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of craziness going on in the news. I was reading the Washington Post, and it said, they said that there are so far, this as of yesterday, 232 mass shootings so far in 2022. So 232 mass shootings so far this year. Mass shootings defined as any time when four or more people are shot in the same incident. So we're getting about four mass shootings a week, roughly, in this country. So what are some of the things that we need? What's going on, first of all, and what can we do to try to help families and children particularly recover from this once they go through such a horrible experience? Yeah, what's so difficult is that as soon as we start kind of being in a position where we can pull the Band-Aid wound off of the, the, off the wound from the last time we hear of another one, and then we're also hearing about where there was interventions where there was a planned, uh, perhaps at a school setting, shooting, but then it was, you know, there was an opportunity to stop it from happening, and here locally in Berkeley, California, that's what happened. So at NAMI Contra Costa, we've been responding to that need and giving resources to family members uh basically around understanding the signs of trauma so that individuals will understand that the children are definitely experiencing, uh, not just because of COVID. I think, uh, if we're being honest, most of us are now living with some form of post-traumatic stress disorder. And then when you have these, you know, unthinkable mass shootings, there's another layer as we're trying to climb out of what was already a difficult situation. So from very young toddlers to teens to, you know, mid-age adults. We're all experiencing some level of trauma, and we're just asking family members to monitor what's going on with their young people, also taking care of themselves and elders. And the best way to do that is try and create as much safety and feelings of safety for anyone you're in contact with. So how does how do you recognize trauma, especially in, in a young child? Uh, what are some of the signs that are showing that that someone's maybe not getting back to normal or getting back to their normal self? Well, I, I have shared before, it could be a loss of appetite, 
sleep issues. Uh, sometimes they'll talk about the events over and over again. Some children are experiencing nightmares, having behavioral problems, being nervous, not wanting to let to stay, you know, not wanting to be too far from their adult uh, important figures in their life, jumpiness whenever there's like a loud noise. Um, and sometimes with younger individuals, it's regression back to infantile-type behavior. So we have to really monitor that uh, closely. When you start getting into older ages, there's the use of alcohol or drugs in teenagers, um, not being able to focus, not wanting to go to school, not wanting to participate in sports activities that they may have been involved in. So, as I said, trying to reassure the children as well as, you know, in, individuals of all ages and you being calm so that your children and other adults that might be in a place of more trauma can start to um talk about their anxiety with you and feel safe in talking about what's going on with them with you. It seems like a lot of years ago when we would read about different types of people in the news and the media that went and, and, and created bad events, went out and shot a bunch of people or created a, a horrible event hurting other people, that they came from troubled backgrounds. Is that normally the case still? Is that, is that still a sound theory that people that are troubled in their youth are the people that are going out here creating these, these uh, mass shootings and doing all this, this violence? It's predicted that 70% of the individuals in juvenile hall, so children, have unaddressed mental health or live with a mental health condition, have been exposed to a trauma, and that holds true largely for adults in our criminal justice system as well. A large majority have had some unaddressed mental illness or sometimes even addressed, but haven't had the appropriate treatment. And so we kind of use terminology like hurt people hurt other people. And that seems to hold true. There were signs for several of the individuals who committed these recent um, mass shootings that there was some history, there was some signs that they, uh, and some even talked about having a plan for doing it. So we, we definitely know that um, some horrible thing had typically happened to those individuals as well. So what's this, what is our solution to try to get on, get in front of this as far as trying to prevent this cycle of, of violence where we have people that are hurt, hurting other people? Well, last month was Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we know that um, having more awareness about mental illness so that individuals who don't work in the field but are connected to individuals who might be living with it or might show signs of it can um, intervene and seek support for those individuals or, or, or at least be a resource, provide resources, uh, share with others. There were clues along the way for most of these individuals that they may be troubled. So not just watching a tragedy unfold, but, you know, trying to get support for the individual, even if they're unwilling at, at alerting someone to some of the some of the fears you may be carrying. And then is there, and do you feel there's enough resources available in most communities where um, people can get the type of treatment and type of uh, um, mental health um, um, uh, counseling or therapy or whatever they might need? Well, NAMI definitely, are, we provide non-clinical services, 
Uh, we're everywhere. I mean, we're, there are 600 affiliates across the nation. If you go to our national website, it'll connect people. And then once you pick up the phone and call a NAMI affiliate, we put you in contact with the 1-800 numbers that each each jurisdiction has, and then they then will hold the individual's hand and, and allow them to um, seek out the services um, that would most be useful for the individual that's experiencing a difficult time. July 1st is fast approaching. We'll have that 988 suicide prevention number up and operating. Um, you know, it might be a slow start, but it's going to be a lot easier than remembering the 1-800 number for the suicide hotline. So we're making progress. Some individuals do have a barrier around the insurance and being willing, being financially able to uh, to connect immediately, but there's opportunities for individuals to get help now more than ever because of COVID. There's uh, we at NAMI we get calls from people across the nation who will join our support groups. Family members who are worried about their loved ones will call and get questions answered and participate in educational courses we offer so that they're more equipped with the tools they need to support their loved ones. So why is it that we seem like we're as we as a society aren't doing enough to really address mental health issues? If there's if the resources are there, like organizations like yours, like NAMI, that are all over the country, have six hundred different satellite locations and things like that. What are what it's what's preventing um, us from getting the people that really need that help from getting the help? Well, the reason we have the May as Mental Health Awareness Month is because the primary um, reason that people don't seek out services is stigma stigma associated with uh, living with a mental illness or identifying someone. So a lot of people will suffer in silence. Um, I do think COVID has opened up the discussion a lot more because so many more people were experiencing anxiety and depression, but we still have a long way to go. We use terminology and have some judgments around people who do have a diagnosis that makes it harder for people when they're in a place of distress to want to seek out service. They don't want to be labeled. Mm. And what about for children? When children don't necessarily have maybe even the, the, the language yet or the dial or the vocabulary yet to kind of trying to really to talk about these things, how does what's, pre- what's preventing our parents and people in our communities from saying, hey, you know, so, so-and-so is kind of withdrawn, so-and-so has you know, been talking a lot about violence, you know, what's preventing, because even the child that committed this last one, this last, uh, this horrible event, I mean, in Uvalde, Texas, this is, I mean, there was a lot of, it seemed like a lot of signs and symptoms that were there prior to his actions. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, you do have to look at truancy, an individual not being able to um, get along well with peers in their age group. If they're being bullied, that we know that a lot of the uh, individuals who have committed these horrific uh, crimes and tragedies have been individuals who have identified as being bullied by others. They stood out as different. And so they were um, often loners. And so, I mean, I I will have to say there's some responsibility we must all take around our gun laws and things like that that make it easier for individuals to um, have possession of uh, tools of mass destruction but we also need to understand that these individuals do rely on adults to intervene. So 
educating adults about the warning signs. And I know there's some campaigns, knowing the signs, ending the silence. There's all these campaigns in place, but we have to have policies in place to ensure that school teachers, counselors, uh, even faith communities carry more knowledge so that they can have the interventions and more open dialogue when they see that someone may be struggling. I mentioned earlier that there is about four mass shootings a week in the United States right now. So we have 232 mass mm-hmm. shootings that happened so far this year. So when, mm-hmm. when for those kids and those families that maybe didn't have their their um, trauma put on the newspaper or wasn't on television, we have you know violence in inner city. We have violence all across the country. What are some of the things they should be doing um, as survivors of these types of events? Because they might know someone who was maybe killed in, by gun violence or maybe. Uh, child might have ended their own life, committed suicide with a gun. Um, what are some of the, well, the first steps they should be doing to try to, to try to really tackle this trauma? Well, it's really important for uh, children to enjoy themselves. So we have to encourage kids to do activities, play with others, and distract themselves from what's outside of normalcy. So these are not normal things that are happening. So we have to kind of establish normalcy, get them back to their routines. But, you know, you have to do that with a lot of compassion and reassuring this about the trauma. Don't pretend they didn't happen. You should be able to discuss the anxieties that they may be carrying and you kind of be aware of your tone because sometimes as an adult, kids can pick up on the anxiety that their parents are carrying or their teacher or any adult in their life. So it's really important for the reassurances to take place. They may need extra cuddling, hugs, you know, pats on the back. They need to feel secure. I mean, I know I need to feel secure. I need to feel like this is still a safe world to live in. And so just um, looking at the age and applying appropriate responses based on the age and not oversharing information. That's been um, one of the challenges that we've had. We've had social media allow young children to see things that their brains can't really wrap around understanding. So the monitoring of uh, what the children are exposed to is really important. So you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, it's not normal to go through violence or not normal to have people in your life, you know, just taken out by gun violence. But the reality is, though, for a lot of kids around the country, that is their their normalcy. That is what goes on every single day. They're in, they, they see gun violence in this inner city. They see gun violence here in Chicago, kids in certain neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Gun violence is, is an everyday part of their reality. So how do, how do they um, how does how does how do you translate that so they realize that no this is not something we say it's not normal but yet it happens all the time how do we con- convey that message to that child Well I think it's really important for you to understand that there's a response to trauma from anyone at any age and some children are have more um dare I say uh resiliency because they shouldn't ever have to normalize, you know, the thought of someone in their neighborhood being killed and they sin it. That should not be a normal response. But because some kids have more exposure, they're able to tolerate it when it happens again. They're able to somehow uh, get through it a lot easier 
but it doesn't mean it's not there. There, There's definitely worry from young people when they see it happen so regularly that they could be next. So you want to talk about it and you want to help them feel safe and then reduce the risk for children who live in violent communities because whether, whether it's widely understood or not, being exposed to high uh, high levels of violence impacts the individuals, the children. And when you layer the mass shooting, they're not going to have this. Well, it happens here all the time. It's just going to feel closer to home for them, even though they're used to it. I mean, when there's a flight, a fright and flight response that we all have. And so we've been encouraging um, parents to, you know, do breathing exercises with their children so that they won't stay in the shallow breathing space, which can cause some health-related issues as well as some enhanced mental health. We need to all be able to realize that when bad events happen, generally they're temporary. And you want to get the children to a place where they can think hopeful thoughts about their future instead of having defeated thoughts, which would cause poor school performance and all of the other things that would not set them up for a healthy future. Mm-hmm. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but to go in a little more detail, so for the parents, because a lot of parents right now are traumatized themselves because the lot mm-hmm. of people that maybe have never even seen a gun or heard a gunshot in their life now are concerned that when they send their kids off to school that they may not be coming home. And that is just creating a lot of anxieties when you're just talking to parents mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis. So what types of what what's a, and what types of things should they be doing or, or what should they be how would you coach them in order to reduce that anxiety so that doesn't transfer to their kids yeah well we're telling you know when the kids want to talk you have to listen well to them do not lecture children let them let them know that it's okay for them to be carrying the feelings that they're having acknowledge the feelings but um you shouldn't say stuff oh don't be worried but you you know parents sometimes are embarrassed when they don't have answers and it's okay to say i don't know Hmm. a lot of us don't know what the next step should be but we can build up this but we're in this together and mommy and daddy or whomever are going to do whatever we can to make sure you feel safe Hmm. but it's okay to tell a child uh i don't know but how do you how does a parent feel safe that that (laughs) The parents have to put themselves in a place of understanding that they need to also get support. They need to go and form support groups and talk to others because if they're keeping it bottled in sometimes, um, we talked about teenagers using substances, but adults can do that too. Adults self-medicate when they don't have the answer. So parents need to get into environments where they're having family discussions um, about what's happened so that they can start the processing of what they need to do. Uh, parents need to do the, the breathing exercises as well and watch for signs of trauma in their own life. And if they need to seek out support uh, around their anxiety and any other issues they may have, they may need to talk with their family doctor or a mental health professional so that they too can decrease decrease the anxiety that they're having. It's it's really not a great feeling when you feel like you can give your kids what they need around safety. Hmm. 
And I think I made. I think you made something really, really clear though, and I think it's really important to bring back up is that the stigma around mental health has to be addressed also, so that parents mm-hmm. can also you know go seek help because if they if they feel like they're they're going to be they're going to look like they're crazy going to see a, a therapist or get counseling for something that's really bothering them, and especially when they're going through anxiety. We have to destigmatize that reality that mental health is something that everybody needs to participate in. Everybody's got to has to take that seriously. Exactly. So you know the parents have to take care of themselves, just the same as we're taught when we get on that airplane. You have to first put your oxygen mask on before you start supporting, you know, a young child you might be traveling with. So you have to um, eat right, drink enough water, stick to your exercise routine, make sure you're getting enough sleep as well. You know, we have to protect ourselves physically so that we're not as emotionally vulnerable. But, you know, when... I'm sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. Go right here. No, you brought me to my last question, which was, is there's we have routines for for health, like we go we go to the gym, we exercise sometimes, or sometimes we meditate, mm-hmm. things like that. Are there certain processes that we should be thinking about as everyday people, everyday citizens, as veterans, to in order to promote our own mental health, like some kind of regimen or like a workout routine or something along those lines that we should be doing for our mental health? Yeah. I think a lot of people rely heavily on their faith practice and that community that they come into around their faith is important to them. Getting up, walking in nature is really important to a lot of individuals. So to reduce stress, I'm really taking on now for myself personally because I recognize I wasn't doing enough intentional deep breathing. And so we don't talk a lot about it, but that's really essential for good health. Is, is making sure that you're not doing shallow breathing, you're doing the deep breathing. It reduces your anxiety and it allows you to be able to function more appropriately in crisis situations. Otherwise, you're always tense and you're carrying extra with you and you got to be able to let go of that and deep breathing does that for a lot of individuals. It helps with that. So when you're doing a deep breathing exercise, what is that like? Do you sit, just sit still and just deep, breathe deep for a certain period of time? How does that work? I have taken up the practice. Well, for those of us who work out regularly, you kind of forced into it, but so it's not as intentional. But really taking 10 minutes a day, even before you get out of bed, and filling throughout your body, going very deep, in a breath and holding it and then exhaling. You need that to regulate and to come out of a place of being tense and stressed. And I've seen it. It's made a big difference in my life. Wow. Because of the work I do at NAMI, right? I wake up, I look at my emails, and I'm usually going to get phone calls from individuals looking for help. Mm-hmm. So I, I consider the deep breathing my putting my oxygen mask on before I go into the world that day to help others. I have to position myself to uh, to be in a better space. So do you think we're getting better? Or are, we, are we this time around? I know we say this over and over and over again. Every year we have another incident, another event that pops up, another mass shooting. Do you, do you see us making any progress so far in the years you've been practicing and years of work you've done at NAMI? I, I was... Um, just thinking about the fact that there's this bill named after a young man, you know, uh, who was living with mental health crisis. So on one hand, we're doing a lot better with numbers like the 988 number. But then on 
and we're talking about mental health. But as you said earlier, we do need more resources available, more readily available that would educate people about what's there. It's no, you know, it's not going to help us to have the services and no one knows they exist. So we continue operating from a fail first system. We want to have more preventative approaches in place so that we can see what could likely happen and prevent it. I mean, I just think about what if someone had, you know, talked to that young man about how he was feeling before he took such a drastic step in the, you know, horrible direction he took it. Right. And yeah, I mean, just looking back on his, on his, uh, experiences it seemed like you had kind of a tense relationship with his father and then you had a, some kind of relationship with his grandmother shot his grandmother and then now goes out and into life of 21 people and it's just i mean it's, it's 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 it seems like it's something that should be preventable but yet we keep telling this story every time we turn around it's like it's another incident every time we turn around and you know i have to think about it this some of the violence increased after covid so not sharing some of the tools that people need to have in place to support themselves. People, prior to the news about all the mass shootings, we were just starting to see individuals who were, you know, feeling hopeless and the suicide rates were, and they still are um, kind of itching up for young people. So we have to put some, some educational plans in place around making sure no one feels like they are alone. I mean, the, Slogan for NAMI is you're not alone, but we have to be more intentional about that being true. Hmm. And Gigi, before you go, tell us once again how to get a hold of you through NAMI. Um, what's the website address and also your social media contact information? So anywhere across our nation, if someone wanted to go to NAMI.org, they would get the list of the affiliate closest to them. We're in NAMI Contra Costa County, and so we're able to support individuals as well by going to www.namicontracosta.org. And then I also always make my phone number available for individuals because I'd rather pick up the phone and save a life than ignore it. <laughs> so I'm at five, if I can give it out real quick, 510-990-2670. That's my direct line. And we appreciate you, Gigi. Gigi Crowder, Executive Director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. NAMI is a national alliance of mental illness and advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. She's a partner of ours at America's Heroes Group, and we thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.